Welcome to the Relentless Indigenous Women podcast, where empowerment, justice, and reconciliation take center stage. Hosted by the dynamic L.A. Lucree woman, Candace Linklater. She's the founder and visionary of Relentless Indigenous Woman Co. with nearly 1 million social media followers, an educator, PhD candidate, and proud reskin. This podcast is a passionate platform for Indigenous people and allies alike. Here's your host, Candace Linklater. Wache, hello everyone, and welcome to the ghost series of the Relentless Indigenous Woman podcast. As many of you may know, natives love a good ghost story. We've been telling them since time immemorial, and since it's October, one of my favorite seasons of creepiness and horror stories, I am more than happy to present to you some stories that were shared with me via email. I made a call out a couple of weeks ago and received a lot of submissions, so thank you so much for those that did. The RIW code team went through the stories, and we changed some of the names to keep people anonymous, and we did some edits just to keep the bone-chilling story flow effect for the podcast so that the story flows well and it feels, you know, that creepy mode. So without further ado... Here are some of the stories. This story is called The Haunting Gaze. At the age of eight, I moved into a new condo with my mom, and while the place seemed ordinary, one room was a source of unshakable dread. The dining area. I'd avoid it and couldn't stand being alone at home. One day, while my mom was out, I watched TV on the couch promised me myself I'd stay downstairs, but an eerie compulsion forced me to go up the stairs to my room. Staring into the mirror at my dresser, I found my own eyes had turned pitch black. Paralyzed and terrified, I prayed with tears in my eyes and finally broke the gaze. I ran downstairs in fear and my memory becomes hazy from that point on. We didn't stay in that condo much longer, and since then, I've never encountered anything like it. But the memory still haunts me, and I avoid prolonged mirror gazes since. I fear of what might look back is something I can't shake. This story is called A Midnight Pursuit. In 2014, while pregnant with my oldest child, I ventured with my partner and a friend into a desolate area in the dead of night. A thunderstorm added to the eerie atmosphere as we navigated a treacherously narrow, winding road. Panic set in as we realized we couldn't turn back without risking a plunge. Seeking refuge, we stumbled upon an unexpected cemetery, but it wasn't the one we sought and my pregnant self tried to regain composure, my friend decided to smoke some weed. However, my partner's discovery left us unnerved. It was a cemetery for children. Amidst growing discomfort, we were pursued by a creepy car with blindingly bright lights. It clung to our tail, snaking around our every turn. My passengers were on the brink of hysteria. My unborn child remained eerily calm, 
urging me to stay composed. When we finally reached the town, we stopped at a traffic light. The pursuing car halted inches from our bumper. Its driver was cloaked in darkness. Just as suddenly, it vanished into thin air. This spine-tingling encounter still haunts us, a stark reminder of the importance of showing respect, especially near old cemeteries, particularly those reserved for children. This story is called A Disappearing Act. When my dad's girlfriend introduced me to her porcelain doll collection, I was entranced by their beauty. She gave me a doll that looked like me, with dark hair, brown eyes, and a red dress. I placed it on my dresser, but it made sleep elusive. The doll, always facing me, would turn around on its own, despite my dad's efforts to keep it facing the wall. After a few eerie encounters, it was placed in the hallway shelf, its gaze averted. But one spine-chilling night, I watched in terror as the doll's head swiveled toward me. The next day, it disappeared without a trace. This next story is called My School's Shadows. During my fifth grade year, a bone-chilling incident occurred within the walls of my school. One day, I went to the restroom feeling a deep sense of unease. As I occupied a stall, a profound sensation of being watched enveloped me, and I hesitantly peered beneath the stall next to me. What I saw left me paralyzed in terror. A girl in a hauntingly familiar uniform, reminiscent of those worn in residential school, stood there with no discernible face her long, disheveled black hair cascading around her. My heart raced, and fear gripped my very being. Summoning every ounce of courage, I finally bolted from the restroom, vowing never to set foot in that place again. What made the experience even more unsettling was the realization that my elementary school occupied the same grounds as the residential school known as Bishop Horden Hall. This encounter has forever etched a chilling memory in my mind, one I can never ease. This next story is called Ghost Chess. I want to share a spine-chilling childhood ghost story from a time in a run-down Victorian house in Port Townsend, Washington. I was just three years old when I began talking to a presence I called Fox. I could smell pipe smoke in his presence, though I didn't realize the source at the time. One night, Fox invited me to play chess, guiding me to an an unused chessboard in the dark parlor. When my mother saw the board perfectly arranged and asked how I'd done it, I pointed to Fox. Terrified, she called for help, suspecting an intruder. However, we were alone in the house. Decades later, while researching my second book, I delved into the town's archives. I uncovered that James Fox had lived in our block 
and his tragic story included losing everything in the 1929 stock market crash before taking his own life. The revelation sent shivers down my spine, especially considering I'd also named a character James in my new book. This one is called Fred's Wake. It all began in the 80s when my nephew Fred accidentally ingested an hallucinogen drug, unleashing a terrifying set of hallucinations. My sister, fearing legal consequences, called upon the family to form a healing circle. Years later, Fred shared his haunting experience with a little girl named Coyote who promised to claim him when he passed away. His story was dismissed as a child's fantasy. However, the story takes a sinister twist during Fred's wake. An unknown girl entered the house, sitting beside the body where tobacco and smudge usually rested. She revealed sharp teeth with a sinister smile. Those who noticed were consumed by fear. The girl embraced my cousin, Corey, who mysteriously passed away not long after. As if that wasn't eerie enough, two mini-tornadoes, like vortexes of doom, infiltrated the room, swirling around Fred's lifeless form. They departed, slamming the door behind them. My two nieces arrived, oblivious to the bizarre event. According to an elder, this entity is an interdimensional being, a guidance of medicines, not of this world. Echoing Fred's childhood words, she had come to claim him. Every witness to this uncanny event is left with the same chilling memory, raising unsettling questions about the mysterious, the unknown, and the enigmatic forces beyond our understanding. In the 1930s, a man named Edward and his family lived in a remote log-style home in rural Manitoba. After a difficult childbirth, his mother, Kim, became seriously ill. His father, Oliver, had to rush her to the nearest hospital, leaving the children alone. That night, they were startled by the clamor of pots and pans in the kitchen. They thought it was their mother, but the kitchen was empty. Then, in the dead of night, Edward heard his mother's voice and a gentle knocking saying, Let me in, I'm home. He opened the door to nothing. When Oliver returned, he brought devastating news. Kim had passed away on the way to the hospital. Tragically, their youngest sibling also passed away soon after. This story is a haunting reminder that sometimes the boundary between the living and the departed blurs in the most unsettling ways. This last story is called The Haunting Light. On a moon-shrouded night, I found myself on the winding path home after a long, weary shift. As I approached the bridge, a whispering breeze carried on an eerie sensation, hinting at something otherworldly. Being a photographer, I couldn't resist the bridge's rustic charm, a perfect subject for my camera. I was set on capturing its intricate wooden details using a specific flash technique that painted an ethereal glow. The snapshots secured, I resumed my solitary journey home. Little did I know that this seemingly ordinary night would unravel into a nightmarish tale that would etch itself into my memory.
That night, sleep brought me a dream so vivid it left me chilled to the bone. In a dream, a spectral child, no older than six, with hair like spun gold and eyes as blue as the midnight sky, crept to the edge of my bed. His tiny fingers trembled as he pointed towards a shadowy corner of my room, his voice quivering with fear. That man killed me. That man did it. With a heart gripped by otherworldly compulsion, I followed the boy to the door where a faint glimmer of light beckoned. In my dream, I seized that elusive radiance and hurled it towards the lurking darkness. As the light washed over the malevolent figure, it revealed a face twisted by malevolence and deformity. A gut-wrenching chill ran through me as I awoke, still ensnared by the haunting clarity of the dream. Years later, the night of that horrors unfolded in the most unsettling of ways. It was revealed that that very bridge I had photographed was a dwelling place for a lost and tormented spirit, a young boy who met a tragic end beneath it in the 1930s. His anguished cries echoed through the night, prompting alarmed residents to call the authorities, believing someone was in dire need of help, but each time there was no one to be found. The sinister events that had plagued the bridge had ceased since that fateful night, and it was my dream that held the key to the enigma. The flash from my camera had inadvertently become a beacon, a channel for these restless spirits to follow me home, determined to haunt me. Yet my dream was not without purpose. In the dream, I had harnessed the power of light to reveal the malevolent presence, offering a chance for the tormented boy to escape his eternal anguish and finally find the rest he had been denied for so long. That radiant light had brought him the peace he had longed for, ending a chapter of eerie occurrences that had haunted that bridge for decades. Thank you so much for tuning in to our ghost series. We will continue the series throughout October. If you would like to submit your ghost story, please email me at info at relentlessindigenouswoman.ca. Miigwech, and have a good Friday the 13th. Miigwech, thank you for joining us on the Relentless Indigenous Woman podcast, where we strive to empower, educate, and inspire. If you're ready to take your commitment to Indigenous education and advocacy to the next level, connect with us. Relentless Indigenous Women Co. offer services such as keynote speaking, workshops, and guidance on systematic change grounded in Indigenous ways of knowing and being. To learn more, email us at info at relentlessindigenouswoman.ca or visit our website at relentlessindigenouswoman.ca. In the spirit of reconciliation, let's walk together to create global change. Miigwech. Thank you for being part of our community. And until next time, stay relentless.